This is the Learning Curve Podcast, and I'm Pastor Scott Rambo. Welcome to the classroom. Let's dive into the Word of God and see what He has to say to us today. All right, so tonight we're going to talk about what it is to be filled with the fullness of God. I know last Tuesday night, whenever you know I brought a word, we talked about our responsibility in the church this year, looking back on the last year. If you didn't listen to it, go to the learning curve, listen to it. If you need a, a study guide, I'll get you one because I can do that. I can print it off. Um, Brother Scott gave a really good word Sunday. It kind of went right on along with that idea um, that it is the Lord and everything that he does, but at the same time, we still have obligations You and I do obedience and those types of things. So tonight, the the first thing says we are made to be filled with the fullness of God. And we want to just talk about what that means. Are there any prayer requests before we get started other than what we've already spoken on? Yes. Ain't Vivian's sister and then... All right. Brother Scott's dad's dad, Brother Scott's grandfather, they said that he, he, was, uh, he had a brain bleed. They saw something on his lung. They're going to be looking into that, so please keep praying for that. Um, pray for those who are sick and those who aren't able to be here. Last week, one of the things that we talked about was not dwelling and focusing so much on those that are not here. We looked at why people are not a part of the church, why people have fallen away from the church, why there are people that are not going to come back to the church. And it kind of goes along with what we're talking about tonight. The problem is is that um, it's not the church's fault, and it's definitely not Jesus Christ's fault. It's the individual's fault. There's a lot of people who have a lot of church hurt. That's what I'm going to call it. They're upset because someone in the church hurt them, but Jesus Christ did not hurt you. The Spirit of God did not hurt you. You allowed, number one, your feelings to be hurt. That's a reality because it tells us we're supposed to die daily. You're supposed to be mature in the Word and understanding. Although they rebuked and did all the things they did to Christ, there was no guile found in His mouth. Jesus Christ just kept pushing right straight forward because He understood that He had... He had a work to do. He had a ministry to fulfill. And it didn't matter what came against him. He was going to make it to the end the same as with Paul. It doesn't matter the individual that comes against you because it's going to happen again, believer. Understand again, it's the Spirit. And that's what we're talking about tonight, this fullness of God. What is the fullness of God? Why do we find ourselves in the places that we do? Believe it or not, it is our fault. I said that last week, and I believe that 100%. It is your fault. If you get offended, it is your fault. When I get offended, it's my fault. I have set an expectation for a person to be something when I shouldn't. Not even myself as an associate pastor, not Scott as a pastor, not pastors I've had in the past, not the ones I will have in the future. My focus, my desire should be on Jesus Christ because every single person will fail you. And if I, if I focus on anybody other than Christ, I'm not going to stay in this church. 
because when I get hurt, I'm going to be just as that seed that fell on the ground and it sprouted up and everything was real great. But the first time something came against it, what happened? It withered away. Because see, it never was really rooted and grounded in truth. As long as everything was going great and it was going their way, they're fine. But as soon as there's something that comes against it, you can under believe we are gonna, something is going to come against this church. If it hasn't already started, it's going to happen next week or the next or next month. Before the end of the year, there'll be another great controversy in our midst. Because the Word says so. We learned that last week. So you and I, as born-again believers, we have to be filled with the fullness of God. If you would, bow your heads. Father, we thank you for yet another time to be in your Word. God, I thank you that you stayed the weather... It went around us, Father. Thank you for the rain, God, but we thank you so much that we didn't have any, any destruction or any death from this. Father, I thank you that you kept that child safe that earlier was found walking down the road, God. We, we have to remember, Father, all the things that you do that we don't know about, all the things that you keep from us, Father, because we are your children and you want what's best for us. Father, when those things do come against us, Lord, when it seems that things aren't going right, we need to remember that you're the one who sets our direction. You're the one who guides us along this path. And you don't set anything up to destroy us, God, only to, to help us make it through this walk and persevere to the end. We thank you for those who are here, and we ask that you would be with those who are sick. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> so we'll begin in Ephesians 3, 17 to 21. We'll read it straight through. We've gone through this quite a bit. We know that starting in 14, it's a prayer. And I, that's where I will begin because we're going to look at the prayer in context. For this reason, I bow my knee before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. You see that? Every family derives their name from God. Whose image are we made in? In the image of God. That He would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner man. This is what we're talking about tonight. Being filled with the fullness of God, is, it's, it's internal. It's the Spirit of God. It's what's inside of us. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Beautiful prayer. You know, what He's trying to say. We've talked about this several times. I can remember going back years uh, where it says that He's talking about maybe able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth. That's everything. The old, the tradition says that the church fathers were talking about the cross. One, two, three, four. Catholicism, a lot of that, it's the sign of the cross. It's the four points on a cross. But it's really everything, right? It's what encompasses everything. If you look at the last three pieces of it, length, height, and depth would be length times width times height. That's a cube. That means everything. And the breadth of the fullness of everything is what he's saying. Every single thing, the whole entire universe, all of it. Something that's missed, though, that I really, really like about this, and it's something that we have to start understanding at the beginning of verse 18, may be able to comprehend with all the saints. Do you realize that if a person is born again believer and filled with the Spirit of God, they're a saint? It's not those who have passed away. 
not simply because you pass from this plane to the next that you're a saint. We are living saints here on this side. Okay, there's a lot of people in the church that we as human beings don't think are saints. They're, they don't have the best fruit. doesn't mean they don't bear fruit. But you see, that's a problem that we have. That's a perception that we have that we've got to get over. He says all the saints. He didn't say just the saints that were hundredfold or just the saints that were 60 or just the saints that were 30 or just the saints that were just saved, converted, and born-again believers and have just been washed in the blood. He meant all of them. He meant every one of the household of God that someday you and I will stand in glory and we will worship God forever together. That's a saint. A saint is one who has been justified and converted and is now filled with the Spirit of God. Guys, what does that look like? It looks like a lot of different things, doesn't it? A new believer who's been born again for a week, they still have some pretty bad habits. I've been saved almost 10 years. I still have some pretty bad things in my life. Thoughts, things that just pop up. I, Brother Gene is the one that whenever I first started coming here and we were in here in the evenings having class and I can... It just, I remember listening to him and Brother Nicky and some of the elders talk about it and say, listen, I would say I don't know if I'm saved. I don't know if I'm right because I think these thoughts. And Brother Gene said, son, I am 70 whatever years old. And I think those same thoughts. I have those same things. He said, but the, the, what you have to do is it's not what comes into your mind. It's how far do you take it? Don't let it take root. Don't let it grow. Don't act on it. Stop it right there. Because that's the length of our life, the whole breadth of our life, if you want to say. There's always things that are going to try to infiltrate our mind. Because where's the battle? It's spiritual. It's in the inner man, as he's saying here. That's what we're fighting. So, the height of the prayer, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. This is the final purpose clause, and it's what the whole prayer has been leading up to. Everything he's prayed about is, is he wants this one specific thing for you. <clears throat> and that is what? That is that you will be filled with the fullness of God. So I'm going to read that, that again there, 19. And to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. So what do we find in the beginning of the prayer? That's, that's a beautiful prayer, what he's saying. He says that God will strengthen you. Whose power is it in? It's in the power of God. That Christ may dwell in your hearts. I mean, we can go to John 15 and spend the next two weeks there in that one chapter. If I am in you and the Father is in, then we are both in you. And that, that's what he's saying right there, that Christ may dwell in your heart. That's where he lives. He abides there. That you may have strength to grasp the love of Christ. We still don't fully understand Christ's love. Because if we did, the sinful thoughts and the things and the attitudes, we wouldn't have them. It would be impossible. Why would it be impossible? Because Jesus Christ... There was never, never sinned, never guile found in his mouth. He was perfect, blameless. We're not, and we never will be, because it's still going to aggravate me if we're on the four lanes. Like the other day, I was on the, four, on, on the highway, and somebody was going 35 miles an hour. It's 55. What are you doing? I was in a line of 50 vehicles, and then the person turned into the dollar store on top of the hill, and we, we could have just pushed them in the parking lot easier than the speed they were going. Why does that anger me? Because I have an expectation. I wanted to go somewhere. But who, here's the deal. Was God saving me from something? Is there an instance where if I, he turned at the one right by Esther Field, 
What if five seconds later there was a wreck at the, at the intersection of Esther Field? God knows what He's doing. And that's what we have to start understanding. Try to, try to see the fullness of, of what He's doing in our life too. It says then again that you will be filled with the fullness of God. So what does it mean to be filled with something? To be filled, 4137 in the Greek, go back to the lexicon, to be complete in, to have that thing become the controlling influence over your actions and behaviors. The Spirit of God delivers the fullness of God. So what does that mean? What do you mean? Well, what do we know in, in Ephesians 5 and 18? We don't even have to turn there. What does it say? Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit, Right? So what is to be leading me every single moment of my Christian life? We know that, guys. That's why I say preaching to the choir, it's not lost on anyone in here. We are to be led by the Spirit and the Spirit alone. Because if I'm being led by flesh, then I'm not in God's perfect will, which is where we would like to stay as, as much as possible. John 14 and 25 through 26. So how can we say that, that the Spirit of God delivers the fullness of God? Because I know that in, in, he says this in 25, John 14 and 25, this is Jesus Christ says, These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you. Remember, now, abiding with you, I was with you. One of the things that Paul prayed for is that what? That Jesus Christ would abide in us now. How is that even a possibility? He goes on to tell us. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. I love 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Why is that? Because what did He give us? He gave us the Spirit. The Spirit of God is perfect peace. The fullness of God is knowing as much as you possibly can know about God at any given time in your walk with Him. I would hope that as we mature in this, we can see year, year to year at the very least that we're growing in the knowledge and understanding of who God is. I love that about Job. Job knew who God was, but when he finally railed at the Lord and the Lord spoke to him for a small little piece, what was he say? He said, today I've seen you. There's a difference between knowing something and seeing something. I know that the Hoover Dam is amazing. I want to see it one day. I know it's amazing because when I was a little boy, I watched a documentary on it, and I have been infatuated with it ever since then. And I want to see it with my eyes. It's going to be a very, very different experience when I stand on that dam and I look at it versus what I see on television. It's the same way with this. It's one thing to know of something. It's another thing to see it. That's what Nicodemus is trying to figure out. I don't understand what you're saying. You're saying I need to be born again. How can I enter my mother's womb again? But he says, that's not what I'm saying. It's the Spirit of God is like the wind. Well, what does that even mean? Well, it, it, you can't see it, but you can see what it does. And that's the hardest thing to explain to people who are unsaved and don't understand. Um, I've seen people have seizures, yet I've never experienced one. I can't see the chemical reactions that are taking place in my child's brain that is causing her body to lose all control. But it's real, isn't it, guys? Although I can't see the chemicals and how everything's reacting in there, I can see what it's doing to that. That's what the Spirit of God does. 
you cannot see the spirit in me right now, but the, the physical manifestation on my skin right now, what I feel, what's inside of me, what you've seen, hopefully the change you've seen in me over the last 10 years, that's how we see that. That's the fullness of this thing is that the Jesus Christ said, I will pray the Father and he will send another in my name. And who is that? That's the very spirit of God. And that's what we're filled with. And that's the fullness. So <clears throat> Ephesians 5 and 18, we say again, be not drunk on wine, but be filled with the spirit. Then in John 14, 25 through 26, he can't be any more purposeful in the thing that he says. These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. That's the fullness of God is the spirit of God. You want to know if you're filled, if you're full, if you have the spirit and you will empty yourself of self, he will fill you up. So, Third thing, to be filled with the fullness of God means to be diffused throughout one's soul so that God is the controlling influence at any given moment governing your feelings, your desires, your thoughts, your hopes, relationships, words, actions. Here's the big one, reactions. That is our biggest problem. It's not what I do, it's how I react to what other people do. That says a lot about if I am or am not in the Spirit, right? Because here's the other part. I don't know where that person is. I could, and this has happened in my marriage. It's happened in relationships. My mindset, I perceive what you say to me based on what my mindset is, not on your words. We talked about that a while ago, right? Words, your words that you actually speak account for 7% of what a person gets from you talking to them. Over 50% of it is your body language. Almost 30% of it is your tone. The 7% of what comes out of your mouth is what someone actually perceives you to say. So the attitude that I have when I do it, the volume of my voice or the, means way, way more than the words I speak. Right? Sarcasm is one of the worst things you can ever, ever do. Sarcasm actually means to rip the flesh in the Greek. It's not the best thing to do because it causes problems. It causes problems in relationships. So it says your reactions, your calendar... Where are you? When are you? Your checkbook, etc. At any given time, you may be hangry, sad, lonely, righteously indignant, but you are not allowing those emotions to control you. You are continuing to walk in the Spirit. This is what we see Christ do. I'm pretty sure that Christ was very, very hungry when He was on His way to Golgotha. We all know that He was after 40 days in the wilderness, right? He hasn't eaten or drank in 40 days, and He's being tempted with food. I go on a diet and like three hours into it, I'm dying because I can't have any sugar or I can't have the, what I want, right? That's what, I'm, that's what he's trying to say right here. We have got to, as Christians, as believers, be able to trust in the Spirit and allow the Spirit to override our flesh. But we have a hard time doing that because our flesh does like to be pleased. That's the problem with flesh. So you are continuing, are you, here's the thing, are you continuing to walk in the Spirit? When you find yourself in those places, do you want to know what, if you are truly filled with the fullness of God, it's how you react to every single situation that you come in contact with. Because the perfect will of the Father and the job of the Spirit, according to John chapter 14 and 26, is what? To teach me all things and bring all things to remembrance. Well, guys, we have enough knowledge of the Word of God just from coming to Sunday school and preaching. 
in one year at this church to know how I should act and react to others. But we do a poor job of it, myself included. That's the, and that's the reality that we face as believers. Is we don't always stay in the Spirit. Yes, neither did the apostles. I can't find anyone save Christ Jesus himself that did this perfectly, right? And the great part is, like we go back and talk about when he says all the saints, when he's praying, he prays for all the saints. The Lord knew our faults when he was dying on the cross. The Father knew our faults whenever he called and reached out to us for salvation. Y'all, he already had already factored all that in, thankfully. But my wife, bless her heart, she married a 17-year-old kid, and she had no idea what was going to happen after that. <laughs> you know, she didn't have all the information so that she could say, well, I know this is going to happen and this is going to happen, because how much easier would that have made this whole situation? I know this many years in, this is going to happen, but I know 20 years from then, things are going to be much, much better. Hindsight is 2020, as they say. It makes things a lot easier. But here's, here's the thing. We say that but we're so used to living in the flesh. What are we supposed to trust in? What we see? No. That's exactly what it says. Our faith is not in the things that we see, but it's in the things we don't see. Up to this point, I can see by reading the Word of God that 100% of the time, if I am truly His child, that He will work every situation to my good. Every weapon that's formed against me will not prosper. Didn't say it wouldn't form, Christian. He said it will not prosper. That is a promise that I can rely on. Now, now, can I see what's coming? No, but listen, if you can read this word and you can believe it in faith and hold on to it, there is nothing that will knock you out of this. It's impossible, right? Because who has you? He has you. He's given us all the things that pertain to life and godliness, the Word says in 1 Peter. I love that. He says, when I saved you and I filled you with my Spirit, I gave you all the things that pertain to life. 22-22 in the Greek, which is everlasting life, it's true life, and godliness, lowercase g, but every attribute and characteristic of God. I've given you all that in what? In the Spirit. The fullness of who I am has been given to you in the Spirit of God. You have been built up a habitation for the Most High God. That's what Paul tells us, right? Do you not know? Why do you continue to do the things you, you do? Do you not know that you have been built up a habitation for the very Spirit of God? Yes, Paul, I do. And that's why I die daily and I repent. And that's why I'm so sorrowful at times with a godly sorrow. 2 Corinthians 7, not a worldly sorrow, but a godly sorrow because I know how wicked my heart is. I know how easy it is for me to turn. I know how easy it is for me to walk away from what I know is right. I've said this, going fishing and hunting and all those things, I love those things, I'm not going to lie. But I know where I'm supposed to be and when I'm supposed to be there. I know all the things that I could do. I know my ties that I have. I could have a pickup truck. And what I pay in ties, I could pay a note on the truck that I actually want. But that's not where God says my money should go. It is a sacrifice to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. It's supposed to be. This is not the prosperity gospel. I don't give my money, and just because it says in Malachi that he's going to send me in abundance, pressed down, overflowing, he's not talking about money. He's talking about spiritual blessings. 
What does that even mean? That means just like with Peter. Peter's talking to Christ and he says, I don't understand. We're talking about the fullness still. What does God give you when he gives you what he gives you? If Peter says, well, I don't understand. I've forsaken my spouse. I've forsaken my homes. He says, you don't worry about that. Because the one who forsook that here, he will have hundreds and hundreds. Not only there, but do, you, do, y'all, do y'all remember that he said here too? He said, not just where you're going, but here, while you're here. What does that mean? It took me a long time of praying. I have family that's McNeely's, that are Wages, that are Floyd's. I have a lot of family. But I am part of the household of God. So if the government decides to kidnap me and drop me somewhere overseas in the middle of nowhere... There's a child of God there. I now have millions of family. And no matter where I find myself, God is there and so are His children. You want to know how much bigger my family just got? That's relief to me. If I go somewhere and I find myself in a jam, the time after time, you listen to men who have been overseas and women, the time after time when they were over there doing their job and God has delivered them from things, they're in the middle of the jungle and, some, and they're trying to get them and some, some widow woman shows up out of nowhere, grabs this person, brings them and hides them inside her hut. And they say, well, that's not true. You keep believing that. I can go back and look at Elijah and I can tell you it is true. I can go back and look and read those things and say, that's the same God today that did that for them there and I'm a child of God just as he was. Matter of fact, I'm filled with His Spirit. It's not just on me. He has marked me to the day of redemption because He filled me with His Spirit. And He said, I will not cast you asunder. If I did that, that's what I'm going to do. That's that's the fullness of God. That's awesome. Because I have a promise now. Something I can truly rely on. And nobody can take that from me. Even those who don't think I'm a saint or those who think that I'm wayward. That's fine. Think what you want to. You have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Seek out your salvation with fear and trembling. Make sure that your election is right, Peter says. Make sure that your election in your calling is right. Make sure it's right between you and the Lord, and that's all that truly matters. Four, to be filled with the fullness of God is to be conscious of and yielded to God's presence, strength, care for others, spiritual authority, moral excellence, and character. Y'all, this one's pretty simple. This is another one. We should just be able to quote it. Romans 12. What does he say? Love it. I know it in KJV. Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. This is what you should do. Then in two, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. That's what to be filled with the fullness of God is to be able to discern the difference between good and evil, to be able to discern what God's will is for your life. When I'm on a pathway, I I love Pilgrim's Progress. I haven't read it in years, but... He's on, the, he's on the road and he comes to these forks in the road just as you and I do in our life. We come to these places in our life where we have a decision to make and those decisions do one of two things. They either bring us closer to God or they bring us farther away. They're really, really big, important decisions that we make in our life. The great part is, is that when we get down the road, kind of like on the interstate ever so often there's an overpass, 
the Lord gives us overpasses all along the way to get back where we're supposed to be. He doesn't just say, well, Brother Matt, you didn't do what you were supposed to that time. Look, I made a way for you to stay out of that sin. You decided to go into that sin, so now you can, you can just follow that sin straight to hell. Thank God he does not do that. Because if he did, which sin would it be? That's what I struggled with for the longest. Which sin is it? Is it my first sin or my hundredth sin? Which one is it? That's a very, very scary thing. Ideally, you, you don't sin, but we all know that's not a reality. That's why we repent. So to be filled with the fullness of God is to be conscious of and yielded to God's presence, strength, care for others, spiritual authority, moral excellence, and character. So that's why Paul is urging them by the mercies of God. What is God's mercy? God's mercy is the spirit that He placed in you in your salvation. The fact that He has changed your heart, He's changed your desires, that's His mercy. His mercy is that you no longer have to serve sin. That's a very merciful thing. Because what's the opposite of His mercy? It's His wrath. And 1 Thessalonians tells us we are not vessels fit for wrath. That is not our lot in this life. Thank you, Lord. Because I surely don't want His wrath poured out on me at the end of time. So 5, God wants us to be filled with the fullness, His fullness both individually and collectively, as an individual and as a corporate member of His body, as the church of Christ. First, collectively. As the church, God wants to indwell our local assembly to such an extent that everyone knows that He lives here. <clears throat> that is a hard thing, I'm not going to lie. Because um, we have a hard time at times loving other people. And the sad thing is, He's talking about loving the people of the church. And if we go to 1 John, you should read 1 John one, chapters 1 through 5 several times a year. Because it basically tells you this. If you don't love the brethren, then you don't truly love God. You cannot say that you love God and hate the brethren. Right? Last week we talked about this. I can hate the spirit. I should hate the spirit of Antichrist. I don't like whenever a church member especially comes against me personally with something that's not biblical because it does hurt me. But, I'm not, but it's not that person. That's the distinction that we have to start understanding. It's not the person, it's the spirit that they're allowing to operate because they're not operating in the fullness of the Spirit of God. They're allowing something else to override that in their life at that moment. That doesn't mark them for hell. It just means that we really, really need to pray for them. And we need to pray that there's someone in the local assembly, someone who will put a stop to that and can speak a word of knowledge to them about, hey, you need to not do that. You know, a word of knowledge, not a new revelation, but someone who they will receive it from. Like, here's the thing. We have a lot of people that we know that knew us before we were saved. They won't listen to us, especially family. I pray for the person that God will send that will reveal the truth to them. We do that for other people's family members. Think about it. We, we talk to these people. We witness to these people. We live out a life before them. And we know that their family members are perfectly saved, great people. They're in the household of God. They're in the family. But their family doesn't see them that way. But that's why we're to be the light. That's why we are to be what we're supposed to be. 1 John 13 and 34, I spoke to this last week, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Y'all, the love has to start in the household of God in this church. 
If we don't love each other, why in the world would God want to do a great thing? That's a had this question several times about <clears throat> the removing of the candlestick in Revelation chapter 2. That doesn't mean that all the people that were part of that fellowship are going to go to hell. It doesn't mean that they can't be. What it means is you look at the churches that you see around, the Lord removed the candlestick from that place. What is the candlestick? It's the Spirit of God that was there. What holds back evil? The Word tells us that it's the Spirit. That right now, there's, the Spirit is in a fight. There is a struggle in a fight that is holding it back. And one day the Lord's going to pull that back out. He's going to remove the Spirit and He's going to allow the evil to actually rule and reign, which I can't even imagine. But once the Spirit has been moved out of the way, well, that's what happens in those places. Whenever you deny the Lord, what's He say? I want you to return to your first love. Don't love me and don't love Scott more than you love God. Don't love the people in the church more than you love God. That's the problem. There are people who love their pastor so much and they talk about their pastor so much, but they never talk about God. You never hear them talking about Jesus. They never talk about the one who made it to where that person could be what they claim to be, and many of them just claim to be because the truth is when you get down to it, they're a charlatan. Their word that they preach is not even the true word of God. The things they say are not right. It's easy to love and align with someone who is tickling your ear. Let's just be honest. I expect every single time that I teach or I say something, not that someone's mad at me, but that it's, this is the hard part. As you're walking a line, is Jesus upset people. But more than that, Jesus provoked thought. That's the one thing, like when you're teaching or when you're preaching, when you're witnessing or whatever, provoke a thought. Don't try to make somebody mad, but make someone think. The preacher just preached there in three, in, in three separate sermons, what? The Herodians and the Pharisees, and then the Sadducees, and then a scribe. Three separate messages. All this happened within a, one day. But every time that he talked to them, he turned it around on them and made them think. You don't always have to answer things. I've learned this. Sometimes all you have to do is make someone think. Find that out for yourself. Turn it back on them. Let them find out. Because there's no reason to fight with someone, right? That makes absolutely no sense. It just really makes you look foolish. And that's what we've got to do in the church too. If, you have, if there's someone who has aught with you, come to that person with the actual verses that align with what you're saying. Prove that they're wrong. And if that person doesn't, then they're the one who has a problem. But you can't just charge somebody with something. You can't just be ugly to somebody for no reason. Because what, what Jesus is saying here, they will know by the love we have for each other. If I'm full of the Spirit of God, I'm going to be full of love for those who Christ loves. Who does Christ love? His children, those who He saved. Then the second part, secondly, individually. God wants to fill you so that you reveal Him to others. You were fashioned in His likeness. Genesis 1 and 26, what does He say? Let us make man in whose likeness? Our. Let us make man in our. So you, you were, that's the great part, you were created to be filled with the Spirit of God. Every man, woman, and child, whenever God created us, He created us in His image. And God is, He's everything. His Spirit is within Him, without Him, with everywhere, because God is everything and always. Ephesians 4, 23 through 24 says, 
He says, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. You see that? What you are now, if you're truly saved, born again, and filled with the spirit of God, you have been made in the likeness of God and you have been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. Okay? So you, there's a reason for that. There's a reason that you were created the way you are and that now you're being filled. The fullness is within you. It's the Spirit of God. This is the second one, Ephesians 3, 19 through 22. I'll read that to you guys. 19 says, And to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. That's our, our main text. Same thing. You have been created to be filled as a vessel with the Spirit of God. Do you die every day? When you wake up in the morning, do you die to yourself? Most people do not. Whenever you find someone comes against you, or you don't like the question they're asking you, or you don't like something, do you feel it rising up in you? <laughs> I do. I, I do. I don't really like being questioned in a negative way. Okay, like I, I try my very best not to say things that I don't know are true. That's why when we're watching a show or I'm learning something, I am constantly on my phone looking things up because I want to know if it's true or not. And the cool thing about having this now is anything that comes, anything you hear, you can see if it's true or not. You can look it up. You can learn about it. On a television show, if they say this person has this certain disease and this disease does this, I go find out if that's true because I want to know the truth. And so here's the best thing that you can do. Don't speak about things you don't know about. I know very little about riding a bull. Watched a lot of people do it. But I can assure you that if I walked up in the group of people and I started talking about riding a bull and how you got to wrap everything and how you got to turn out and throw your hand, if there's a person there that's ridden a bull, they're going to know real quick that I'm a liar. Don't talk about things you don't know about. Well, well what is that? Well, you should know about a lot of things because the Word of God said in John 14 and 26 that the Spirit's going to teach you all things and bring all things to remembrance, but are you putting it in? How do you get the, this fullness? Because I read God's Word and I put it in and I fill myself up with the Word of God. And then what has to come out? The truth has to come out. So then it says, our transformation is gradual and incremental. I, I love that. Because, see, I wasn't always taught that, especially early on in my faith. If a person didn't do what was right, I was pretty much taught that you shunned that person, that they were a terrible person, and nine times out of ten, they were going to go to hell. Because how, how, how could you be saved for, for more than a month and not be doing what you're supposed to do? How are you able to do that? I've never met anybody that, that was been saved for like a month or two, and, and they were living a perfectly righteous life. I've never, never encountered that. But I was led to believe that if you didn't, the moment that you sinned and you were, you're going to die and go to hell, well, that, that's a really hard way to have to live your life. 2 Corinthians 3 and 18 says this, But we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as from the Lord, the Spirit. And I've heard that preached many a time. And said, look, we're being changed from glory to glory, but at the same time saying, if you're not changing quick enough or on the time schedule that I placed down, you're probably not even saved. Are you kidding me? Does it say that right there? It does not say that. 
you know how hard that is to live up to? You know how defeated I felt for so long? That is a horrible, horrible way to live your life. That is not the freedom that he says. He says, he who is free is free indeed. What am I free from? I'm free from the knowledge and the understanding that if I sin one time and make a mistake, that you're going to throw me away. That is a, that's an awesome revelation to me. I remember when I finally learned that, and that's just been in the past couple of years that I can see the fullness of that in the Word of God. Oh, that's so freeing. That doesn't free me. What did Paul say? Because grace abounds, do we sin more? God forbid. That doesn't cause me to want to sin more. What it does is it causes me to want to sin less, actually, because of how, right, because of how forgiving God is and what He's done for me. 1 John 3 and 9 talks about a seed. And when you go and define it, it actually is uh, defined as what a seed is. 1 John 3 and 9, um, in the, it's, the, it's, divine, it's defined as sperm, actually, is the way it's defined. Because we begin as a seed, as an offspring. Who impregnated Mary? The Spirit of God impregnated Mary. The seed of God was planted in woman. His Spirit impregnated her. So that's this seed in, in 1 John 3 and 9. It says this, No one who is born of God practices sin. That means, and practices sin means habitually, guys. It means it's a, if I practice medicine, how often do I do that? Every time I go to work, right? So this practices doesn't mean that you don't sin every day. It means you don't habitually sin because his seed abides in him and he cannot sin because he is born of God. I cannot live in habitual sin every day like a heathen like I don't know the truth and truly be a child of God. Because a true child of God is going to be so broken that they've dishonored their father. I've said this many a time, and it's the truth. There's a time in my life that if I could have, I would have beaten my father. It would have been horrible, the beating I would have laid on him. And it's just a good thing that he was so much bigger and stronger than me because I never touched him. But you couldn't make me hit him now. You could, there's nothing that he could do or say and there's nothing that, I, that you could give me that would make me want to hurt him because I understand things now that I never understood before. I have a, a reverent love and fear of my dad that I never had before because I, I'm older and wiser, right? And I have an understanding that I didn't have before. Does that make sense? Here's the great thing about all of this. And Daddy said this a while back. Time has a way of changing not just some things, but everything. The things that people have done to you, the ugly things that people have done to you, the way they've treated you, there's going to come a day when that's not going to matter anymore because they're going to be gone. None of that's going to matter. It's not going to matter how they spoke to you, how they treated you, what they did. Well, the same way with the fullness. There's going to come a time where all of those things that you went through, they don't truly matter anymore. That's what Paul is saying over and over. I count those things as nothing. All that I go through because the fullness of God is what's inside of me. There's going to come a day and a time when you're going to have a full understanding of just how much your mom, your dad, your brother, your sister, whoever it was, how much they truly loved you. Because you're going to stop for the first time in your life being selfish and you're going to look at what you did to them all those years. There's a difference in that, is there not? I've taken the focus off of me and I've looked at how much I've tormented and upset and mistreated my wife for 25 years of marriage. It kind of flips it around on him. 
And I, then I start to see, wait a minute, <laughs> a lot of what she got mad at me for, it was pretty warranted. I'm surprised she didn't knock me upside the head while I was asleep and I never woke up. That's, that's how we deal with these things. That's the reality of it. That's when the fullness of understanding comes. But who has to get out of the way? I do. And once I get out of the way, I can fully see something. When I look at it from years down the road, I look back on those things and I go, wow. When it comes to biblical, we understand why we separated, why we weren't with, why we didn't do whatever. But the event, the things that happened, they don't seem to be as big a deal anymore as they once were. That's, that's how I look at That's the way my, my sin, the things that I did, the things that I went through, the hardest things that I've ever gone through in my life that was while I was saved and born again, a child of God. I look back on those moments now and I go, oh, now I understand why I went through that. <laughs> it makes perfect sense now, but I see the fullness of it. And the Spirit of God is growing and indwelling me, and He's helping me walk through this. That's a great thing. Uh, Galatians 4, 19, until He is fully formed within you. That's going to be the day, guys. That's the day that we are out of here. We no longer have to worry about anything on this side. Thank God we will be in His presence, and nothing else will matter. For the first time ever, nothing else will matter. He says, 4, 9, but now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how is it that you turn... Nope, that is not right. Galatians 4, sorry, 19. Yeah, I was on 9. My children with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you. But I could wish to be present with you now and to change your tone, for I am perplexed about you. My children with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you. This was one of those things I was, I was telling you earlier whenever he was talking about... I felt many times that because I had sinned and I was taught that if you sin, that, that it's over, there's no other way. If you will take the time to study that one verse out, if you really will, he says, my children, he's talking about those who he birthed into the faith, with whom I am again in labor until Christ. He's already brought them the truth and he's going back. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 we know that 1 Corinthians chapter, I mean, 2 Corinthians, but there's three letters in 1 and 2 Corinthians. So that third letter that he wrote, that's the third time that he was rebuking them and trying to talk to them. Same as here with the Galatians. Listen, I've already been here, but I'm doing it again, and I'm going to do it again, and I'm going to do it again. It's not perfect. There's nothing perfect about this except for the spirit that's in you. But the spirit that's in you, if you will allow it to fully take control of who you are, you can be someone totally different this year and for the rest of your life. But it's, every, it's moment by moment. So we are changed until Christ is completely formed in us. Guys, when is Christ completely formed in us? When we're glorified. It's never going to happen this side. We'll never be fully like Christ was on this side. So God employs His infinite power to ensure that this happens. This is verse 20 is amazing. It's an amazing truth. It should give you so much hope in this life that you're going to be in, make it into the next life because it's not, it's not you. It's not you. You would fail. You would have failed the moment that you received it. You would have never received the Spirit of God if it wouldn't be for the fact that God gave you the measure of faith.
to see who he truly was in that moment. So 3 and 20, I'll read it once again. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us. It's not according to your power. It's according to the power that works in you. What is that power? It's supposed to be the Spirit of God. Power. 1411 in the Greek, through God's ability, not your own. That is a good thing. You see, my thing is, I was always arrogant and prideful because I was the one that was doing it. That's what I was taught. You keep yourself. No, no, yes, there, there's, a dual, there's a dual thing that happens here. God has me, and I have an obligation to obey Him. Y'all, that's obedience is throughout the whole Bible. Which would He rather, First Samuel? Would He rather sacrifice? No, He says, I'd rather obedience. I own the cattle on a thousand hills. What do I have need for that? That means nothing to Him. He, everything belongs to Him except for me. I didn't belong to Him at one time. He gloriously saved me, justified me, and changed my desires and my will. He wanted me. How amazing is that? That the God of all creation wanted Matt McNeely. Thank God He did. How much power does Paul say God has to fill us with the fullness of Himself? He says it right there. More abundantly beyond. That is 52.39 in the Greek. It's infinite or unlimited. It's immeasurable. You can't measure the power of God. How do you measure what's always been and always will be? It's an impossibility. We measure bombs and things and how, much, how many kilotons it is and how you're blowing things up. I know with Brother Gene, he's seen some power that I can't even imagine. I mean, 480, 720, those are big to me, but what's the biggest you've seen voltage-wise, brother? Okay, he said 138,000 for those of you listening. 138,000 volts. That's amazing, right? So what a, a normal that normal plug-in is 110 volt, 120 volt. So that that gives you a general idea. I've I've never seen that, but it, it's in un, unfathomable how much it is. It's impossible. So let's look at the progression of Paul's thought. God is able to do what you ask for in prayer. That's a, that's a promise. He says what you fail to ask for, but what you think. Y'all, I think things all, the, all, all day. 1 Thessalonians 5 is great. At the end, he's writing to them and he's tell, giving them all these instructions. It's final instructions before he closes out 1 Thessalonians. And one of the things he says is, is to pray without ceasing. Always be in a prayerful mindset. And that's another thing. It, it, draws me, it brings me back to a moment Brother Gene was talking about him working on a tractor. Because I had brought that up. I said, how do you do that? And he said, it doesn't mean that you're just saying, our Father who art in heaven all the time. He says, but when I'm working on a tractor and I was working on a boat and I can't see the boat, and then now I know what that means now because we can do things without having to physically see it. He says, and I'm working in there on a boat and I'm trying to do something. I'm praying to God. He said, but does it sound like God? I'm having a conversation with him. Father, look, I got to get this alternator off this tractor. But where I am, I can't see what I'm doing, Lord. And I'm kind of in the bind. You know, be with me. He's, he, the Word of God says, what did He tell us in, in, in John chapter 15? I no longer call you servant, I call you friend. How do you talk to your friend? I, I know how to talk to my God. 
And it's not always in this reverent tone like all these people say, he is my God, he is my friend. And I call out and talk to him all throughout my day about everything. So that's the, that's the same way here. He knows what I think. And he answers even the things that I think about. That's amazing. All, he, then he goes to say, all that you ask or think. Hmm. Above all that you ask or think. <laughs> abundantly above all that you ask or think. More abundantly above all that you ask or think. That's our God. That's how our God deals with his children. That's an amazing thing. 1 Peter 1 and 5. Where and what is this power? Biblical proof. Where and what is this power? Beginning in 1 Peter 1 and 5. He says this. Who are protected? I'm I'm sorry, I'm going to start at the beginning. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God and the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, Spirit's there, to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with His blood, by grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. That sounds a lot like what we're studying tonight, does it not? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. There again, 100% God. To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, and undefiled, and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, believer, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. That's our promise. So what, so what is it? That's it right there. What is this power? It's the power of God. It's the power of God that saved you. It's the power of God that will keep you. If you persevere, if you persevere, it will be because God did it. It will not be because you did Because we do not have the ability to do that. The only reason that I obey God is because God has given me a new love and a new desire. And that desire is to follow His will. It it has nothing to do with me. That's a hard truth to swallow because then it it means that I can't be prideful. I can't boast in those things. That's what Paul said. Why Why did God do it and not Paul and not so that you can't boast in it? Because what did the Lord know? That you're going to boast in it. Philippians 1 and 6 and 2 and 12. Philippians 1 and 6 tells us this. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you were perfected until the day of Jesus Christ. He says in 7, For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all, because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and in my defense and confirmation of the Bible, you all are partakers of the grace with me. That's a, that is a great one right there. I believe, Paul says, I believe with all my heart that he who began a good work will finish it. Listen, when someone falls away from the church, when they quit coming to church, when they leave the church, don't stop praying and don't stop having confidence. Because if ever it was real, if it was truly real, and here's the thing is, we know we can see them bear fruit, but we don't know a man's heart. The Word of God says it's deceitfully wicked and who can know it? God. I don't even know my own heart. I could be faking it. That's the way I live my life, and that's why Paul said what he did. He said, I don't worry about yesterday and what I did and what I, I, I reached forward to apprehend the fullness of God because I know that it's not what I did, it's what I am doing because it's in the present tense. So he's reaching forward. And then in 2 and 12, Philippians again, 2 and 12 tells us this, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, 
but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why? For it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Allow the fullness, the fullness of God. What is that? You, you are filled with the fullness of God. The only thing that, in studying this, how, what's the only thing that keeps you from being able to fill something up completely? It already has something in it. And it's a wonderful illustration that I can't do here because I don't have the stuff. But it's a person that takes some tennis balls and they pour tennis balls into a glass jug. And they ask, is it full? And one of them sticking out of the top and they say, yeah, sure, it's full. And they're like, no. So then they pour marbles in then, until they pour sand. And finally, it's full. Finally, it's full. Well, I want you to think about the fruit of the Spirit. You have been filled. You may not be manifesting every single thing that there is to be manifested, but it's still there. But are you, are you allowing everything that's not supposed to be there to be removed? No, we don't. I know we've heard it said a lot of ways in the past, swampy places and all these things, but let's just be honest. What are the things that you are holding back from God? What are the places that you have chosen? Because it's not God that does this, it's you. What are the things in your life that you have chosen not to deal with? We all have things. Things that are hard, things that we think are gone, and then the next thing you know, you're like, God, where did that come from? Where in the world did that come from? But I don't, here's the difference, but I don't fall to it like I used to. Because now I see the schemes, the devices of Satan. And whenever it comes, I'm like, no, nope. But it's still there. It's still lingering. That's one of the things that would be great is God takes our sin. And we actually found the verse in the Bible. Brother Scott found the verse in the Bible about the sea of forgetfulness. It's literally in the Bible in Isaiah. It says it. It says he will cast them into the sea of forgetfulness. Okay. I wish that I could forget what God's forgotten, but I won't even allow myself to do that. Do you believe His Word is true? Do you believe that when He says, I've forgotten this, cast it as far as the east is from the west, do you believe that? I do, but yet we can't. But we're filled with the very same Spirit. You know why? Because your flesh is the one that's holding on to that. It's not the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is not holding on to that. The only thing that I say the Spirit of God that I can see biblically that's a reality is, is that the Spirit of God marks people, Paul and Barnabas and Mark, that situation especially. But what do we see finally in the end? Who does Paul ask for? Paul asked for Mark because God dealt with Mark's flesh and Mark was now profitable. We never hear about Barnabas again though, do we? I don't know what Barnabas did. Historically, it says that he went and he spread the gospel to a whole other place that he would have never gone to. But we don't see that in the Word of God. There are instances where there are divisions and schisms, as you would say, that are based upon biblical principles, that that's the way they are, guys. We can't change that. I'm talking about problems that we have between one another, physical problems or emotional, not biblical truths that people are not upholding in their life. There's a difference. The last thing in four says, this is great news for us as we struggle each day to live in a continuous communion with God. Say no to temptations. Be led by His Spirit and extend grace to others as God has extended His loving mercy to us. And that's what I'll end with on that one is, 
I know the word tells me this is, if I don't give mercy, will I get mercy in return? Absolutely not. It actually says <clears throat> the same with judgment in seven, John, uh, Matthew chapter 7. The, the judgment that I use when I judge you is going to be turned right back around and judged against me. I don't need to be under God's microscope, church. I don't need to be under your microscope. So I surely don't want to judge somebody with a judgment that would cause the God of the universe to turn around and start dealing strongly with this man because I can promise you he's not even going to have to scratch the surface and he's going to find things that i got a beam in my eye but yet I'm looking at this little splinter in yours. There again, it's self because I'm not allowing myself to be led by the Spirit of God. The fullness, the fullness that he's talking about, filled with the fullness of God, you are filled with the fullness of God now. That is the Spirit. The Spirit has been deposited in you and will teach you all things and bring all things to remembrance. The difference is, are you walking in the Spirit? Romans chapter 8 is a good one you can go and read. Are you walking in the Spirit? Because if you are, you will deny the things of the flesh. You will be in the Spirit. And what will rule and reign in your life is what we've talked about tonight. You'll be filled. The behaviors, the things that control you, the influences that control you, it won't be what it was at one time. It'll be the Spirit of God. If you would, bow your heads. Father, I thank you again for yet another time to be in your house. God, I, I thank you for your people that are gathered in here. God, we ask that you will continue to be with those who are sick, Lord, those who are traveling. Father, I pray for the, the ministry tomorrow night as the kids come back for Adventure Club, Father. God, I pray that we would have another good year, that, Father, that from that would be seeds would be planted, that would be watered, and, God, that you would bring the increase as you see fit. Father, please, please work within our congregation, Lord. Work within our hearts. Allow us to allow you to work in us. I know that's a crazy way of saying it, but Father, we have, a, we have pride and arrogance, each and every one of us, that we don't, want, we don't want to admit the problems that we have in our lives. We have such an easy time overlooking our own faults and looking at other people and judging them so harshly. Father, I pray this year that the un unity and the love and the desire of our hearts would be for a unified body in this church. Father, I pray that you would abundantly, just as your word says, God, that you would fill each and every one of us, God, with your goodness and your mercy. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You've been listening to the Learning Curve podcast brought to you by Abundant Grace Church here in DeVille, Louisiana. Uh, we invite you to look at our webpage, it is www.abundantgracechurchonline.com. Uh, there you can find all the different ways that you can uh, be in contact with us. Thank you.